0: Hello there, listeners. Welcome to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Vry, and with me, as always, is Dorothy. Hello! And this time around, we have a special commission episode!
1: Yay! Yay! Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Rasheen, for hiring us to look at something that is, I think, a little more present in the popular consciousness than, uh, Our usual fare. Yeah. We We have done the occasional... Not Lock even Blockbuster. Bo- <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess Blockbuster. But not quite like this, I think. Yeah, but I think it's a really interesting one to talk about. Yes. So thank
0: you, Rasheen, for asking us to talk about the 2009 film reboot of Star Trek directed by J.J. Abrams. I This is the only time I will say his name correctly this entire podcast. <laughs> I feel like this will be a slightly interesting episode because... First of all, we have to- Wow, way to damn us with faint praise. Wow, that unconscious really comes out, doesn't it? We're going to need to give out some bona fides this episode. It's not going to behoove us to do much plot summary. And it also feels important to say up front that we aren't going to be kind to this movie, but we also respect that a lot of people- got really invested in this film from a fan work angle where they really put in the work to do all of the emotional background f- for their fan works that wasn't necessarily present in the text quad text and that we respect the hell out of. So like if you got something out of this movie and it helped you make fan content that you found meaningful that's stupendous.
1: I think it has a lot in common with um, like um the TV show The Sentinel in that way. Which I've always, anytime it comes up in conversation with other fans, almost always turns into a, oh, you should watch that so you can read the fanfic. Off the bat, I will say I am
0: sort of a, I I am what you would call a casual Star Trek fan. I am, I was actually more or less the target audience for this movie when it came out because I had heard of uh, Trek, but I hadn't really consumed much of it before I saw this movie was kind of the thing that caused me to go out and look up the classic series. Which, I guess, is something that can be said for it. After consuming literally any of the of the actual <laughs> franchise at large, it didn't so much hold up for me, but it did have that kickoff effect. And these days I've seen, what, probably half the original series, the first six movies some of the more famous episodes of next gen although i'm really just there for q (laughs) i read both of leonard nimoy's books so i I am not a hardcore fan i I don't buy into the narrative that the only reasons to find this movie unsatisfying are because you are too caught up in the minutia of
1: the old series
0: speaking of which yeah and so (laughs) dorothy how much star trek do
1: you know Um, I'm a really big fan of TOS, specifically, the original series. I've watched some Star Trek uh, Next Gen, I've watched some DS9, I've watched some Voyager. I watched a couple episodes of Enterprise for a combination of Jeff Combs and Vulcan's social lore, and obviously I read the novelization of the motion picture. With the footnote. I'm very... I have a lot of background in the, like, time period that this movie is a split-off or AU from, hmm. if that makes sense. Obviously, I also watched the original series films. Right. From the 80s, so.
0: Honestly, my favorite part of the franchise from what I've experienced. I love those movies.
1: <laughs> well, it's nice to see the actors sort of just having the space to breathe and play mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. That can go over the line sometimes. <laughs> Listen, we don't talk about the one
0: that Shatner directed, <laughs> except the camping trip, the, the camping trip can stay.
1: Sean also was a huge fan of um, DS9 and also watched a lot of Voyager and Next Gen back in the 90s and 2000s. So. so I also sort of know a lot about that, but I got into Star Trek a couple years before this came out, because I was just really interested in sort of looking up, the history of fandom in the u.s and especially Mm. slash fandom can't talk about slash fandom without talking about kirk spock nope it's the same reason i ended up watching a lot of uh, starsky and hutch and really liking it so that is sort of an angle that i approach it from but also i just really enjoy the original series and what it was trying to do and i think it's really fun and i Have a soft spot for any show that can go from doing an extremely serious drama episode to something totally wacky. But there was somebody today watching like the very
0: earliest episodes of of Old Trek on my timeline (laughs) that was basically grappling with that emotion of, man, there is some sexist bullshit in these early episodes, but also then it'll turn around and do something extremely progressive for the 1960s and you get
1: some whiplash. Mm Mm-hmm. And even some of the things that we think of as sexist bullshit now... Mm-hmm. are a little complex the miniskirt uniforms in the original series were meant to signify a level of women's liberation in the future rather than eye candy because it was supposed to be because the miniskirt at the time was seen as a very daring feminist statement by a lot of people who wore them mm-hmm. in a real departure from modesty-based clothing so now it looks very silly but extremely <laughs> so it is contextual and of course you know nichelle
0: nichols famously struggled with being on the show and wanted to leave because of the way she was being treated before martin luther king met with her and said please don't leave this show you are such an important visible visible public
1: figure yeah and i think it's really cool that uh whoopi goldberg ended up being on next gen when she was so inspired by seeing Michelle Nichols.
0: That is a heartwarming story about Whoopi Goldberg from the eighties that we can tell. <laughs> I mean, the original track is not, you know, a flawless It also of, also often
1: just looks very silly.
0: In oh, addition all to the time. being very silly. <laughs> yep. Even before you get into season three and the writers being changed and Leonard Nimoy bemoaning in his book the fact that they kind of no longer had any respect for his his character work he would go to the writers and he would be like spock would try to find a non-violent solution to this problem and before they'd kind of let him do whatever but now we're in the friday night death slot well the script says that you punch somebody
1: and you know i think we can sense that
0: yeah so <laughs> so there has basically always been a star trek Somewhere in production, excluding Except the gap for the
1: seventies. Yeah,
0: ex- excluding the gap between the first TV show and
1: the first movie, which is a divisive film. I personally really, really like it, but a lot of people find it very stodgy. I like the director's cut because it puts in some
0: of those emotional scenes that the theatrical cut is missing because it just wants to be.
1: Well, it, it uh, was ex- two thousand one. Yeah, it was. Ex- that was the the pitch for it, and you can tell that it's supposed to be a two thousand one for the eighties. Which doesn't necessarily make it very
0: engaging, because the only part of it that's, you know, emotions is... The two couples? Yeah, that. (laughs) So we had the six films, and then Star Trek returned to TV with Next Generation, which was huge, and spawned its own five or six films? Bunch of films. (laughs) Bunch. And then from that led
1: on to... From which we got Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah. Presumably, right about the time he was posting thought photos on MySpace... Next Gen spins off into
0: uh, DS9, which has actually some crossover with Next Gen, as does Voyager, which comes somewhat later.
1: No, I I mean, Voyager is running, it it happens pretty much concurrently with DS9. Does it? Yeah. I thought there was a year or two. The time periods are pretty much the same. Mm -hmm.
0: The 90s was a lot of Trek. Mm -hmm. Each kind of with a uh, diminishing return in terms of viewership, various you know, whatever reason, people are tired of Star Trek. They don't like the, they they don't like the premises because, you know, DS9 is an outpost station. Uh, Voyager is, oh no, we are lost in deep space. Of course, there is a glass cliff element to the fact that, you know, Cisco
1: is the first black captain and Janeway is a woman. Cisco's is a commander. Excuse me. Yeah, he's the commander of a station. He is not the captain of a ship, but he is also space Jesus. DS9 was really good and interesting. I've always heard good things about DS9. Yeah, a lot of stuff happening. Cisco also takes no shit from Q, so I don't know how much you'd enjoy watching it.
0: (laughs) I mean, as much as I love Q, he deserves to get punched in the face. And that's better than when he was on Voyager and suddenly wanted a cis-heteronormative family unit with Janeway, and I will not forgive that show for that. (laughs) I refuse. That's the thing
1: you can't forgive Voyager for.
0: (laughs) Not the war crimes. Nope. This is the line I'm drawing in the sand.
1: (laughs) This far, and no further.
0: After Voyager ends, the franchise takes a different turn and decides to do Enterprise, which is the first post-9-11 Star Trek, and it is also the first Trek to go backwards instead of forward. Every Trek had very notably gone forward in the timeline, as, you know, in keeping with its kind of sci-fi spirit of, Utopian future utopianism even if later installments also kind of got into is the is the federation bad actually the federation might suck but enterprise it takes place before the five-year mission it is a prequel to the original star trek
1: yeah and it stars scott bacula yeah of quantum leap and it is by all accounts very bad <laughs> i don't know any enterprise fans i know they
0: exist even then, the people—the most positive I have ever heard someone speak of Enterprise is, well, the, the third and fourth season, when nobody was paying attention anymore, they got new showrunners who really cared about building a lore and characters. And those two seasons are pretty good, which Jeff I sympathize with. Jeff Combs was
1: with. there. Jeff Combs was there. Of course but he was. I think most people who might have considered watching Enterprise were at that point probably watching Stargate Atlantis. There was a lot of crossover between those fandoms, actually. And, and I mean...
0: Enterprise didn't have to shift its narrative to to become more jingoistic in the Bush era. Enterprise is a show that deserves a heck of a sociological post-mortem. And it killed Star Trek, is what it did. For a while, yeah. It ended in 2004 and then there was uh, nothing until this film comes out in 2009.
1: And of course now we're in sort of a Star Trek renaissance. We've got the cartoon and we've got Star Trek disco and stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Which we have to credit this movie for. You know, this franchise was big enough that it revived some interest in doing new Star Trek projects again. Although thank God that Tarantino one seems to be dead in the water. Knock knock. So Star Trek 09. The franchise is considered so poison that they call in J.J. Abrams, the man who by his own vocal admission on PR circuits doesn't like Star Trek. There is this very famous clip where he went on The Daily Show. It's like, I never got Star Trek. It just never it was too philosophical
1: for me. That was pretty common knowledge back when this came out, but I don't know how well known it is, you know, 11 years on here. J.J. Abrams was very much like a very... Classic faction-based nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wanted to do Star Wars. But
0: they gave him
1: Star, Star Trek. Trek. But he doesn't like Star Trek. He likes Star Wars.
0: Which, Star Trek and Star Wars are not a thing you need to pick between. That's an old faction war and it's stupid. And it also wasn't really a thing uh-huh. that much. Beca- the shows are just different. so incredibly different. One is science fiction, one science fantasy. They have different emotional goals.
1: Yeah, one of them is trying to say a thing about myth-making and sort of the prototypical Campbellian hero's journey myth structure, whereas the other one is about socialization and utopian futures. And
0: I wasn't able to find the interview for it while I was doing my prep for this episode, but I vividly recall an interview he gave at the time that was, he didn't watch the series, he had somebody prepare some episodes for him.
1: And I think that really, really shows in the execution of this film. Yes, particularly... When we think about which episodes of the series that I always think of as the best episodes of the series Mm -hmm. versus sort of the contextualization necessary to understand why those are the best episodes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, everybody loves City on the Edge of Forever and Amok Time. Side of Paradise. Those high moments need, like you said context of why they were special from the day-to-day operation part of star trek the original one is that it didn't have much continuity a lot of that was fan built until the films
1: yeah i mean the first three seasons of star trek were designed to go into syndication they were designed to be rerun for years and they were it is on the one
0: hand a challenge that you have this episodic tv show that is sort of already mythologized by the presence of the singular narrative of the six films that came after but also kind of thin on the ground because nobody besides kirk spock and mccoy have a lot of characterization so it is a tough thing
1: and you well, can- i mean of course you've also got decades worth of books and outside media fans of the series are already working from this huge background and this is kind of where the stereotype of the insufferable Star Trek fan comes from, but I'd like to think that in recent years, (laughs) other fandoms have Uh, superseded it, you might say. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yes, speaking of,
0: uh, J.J. Abrams did in fact use this movie to say, here is my demo reel, let me make a Star War. Yeah. The plot of this movie, I actually really like in the abstractest abstract. Like, as a pitch... That hasn't yet become a script, and you haven't worked out all the details. I'm kind of into it. Let's assume we have to make this a reboot because we have considered the brand poison for doing incremental new projects. Nobody wants to watch a Star Trek anymore, except unless we go back to the almighty nostalgia dollar. All right, you have to use the original cast.
1: I think part of that was also just the legitimization factor of getting Nimoy on board because Nimoy's stance had for decades been, "I will not be involved in a Star Trek film." where spock is not one of the main characters Mm -hmm. like he he just never wanted to do cameos right because he
0: has a very historically complicated relationship with his role as spock because he felt like it ate a lot of his other artistic pursuits over the years and he made peace with that with his book in the 90s well he wrote a book called i am not spock and then he wrote a sequel some years later called I Am Spock, and they're a really good read, actually. They're they're very kind of sweet and um, elucidating. But we are locked into the prospect that you must do a reboot with these original series characters. The fact that the movie decides to do a cheeky play on oh, look, we are explicitly a different universe outside of the existing one, and now we will do new adventures, is very cute. Honestly, I'm into that. We're our own AU. And Star Wars already. Wow. Freudian slip. <laughs> Star Trek already has its own multiverse canonically, so it's whatever. It's built into the extant lore.
1: Give me the kinky Evil Universe movie.
0: There's fanfic <laughs> out there for you, my friend. I read some of it. Yes. <laughs> What's I, your point? <laughs> God, I love Mirrorverse fic. So in theory, I think that this movie is a really cute, tongue-in-cheek way to do a reboot. In practice, I think J.J. Abrams hates Star Trek and (laughs) didn't do enough
1: research. Uh Uh-huh.
0: A movie that's about doing fanfic of your thing has to be made from the perspective of somebody who cares about the original thing. Otherwise, it's going to come off as cold and cynical.
1: Conceptually, I shouldn't be annoyed with what it's doing with these characters and with the plot and the history of this universe because it's got that proviso that slapped on it that this is different though. But in practice it just does some shit that really really irritates me. I think it'll be more
0: useful to talk about the characters and their arcs than the plot beat plot beats.
1: The barest bones version of the plot is that we blew up Romulus. Spock accidentally fucks up and doesn't get to Romulus in time to save it from blowing up. Which
0: creates a time portal, which brings this guy Nero, who's the last surviving Romulan, through this time portal to a new universe. Well, it brings his whole ship. That's true, it's a big kind of ship. we just kind over that. Yep, no, the Space Tentacle ship
1: looks cool in a shot, and where you don't think about it it's now. It's extremely large. Yep. You, you had to make it Romulans, I guess, because Romulans are, like, a TOS threat. I guess, and
0: Klingons would have been done. And, and Borg is... To Next Jenny. Uh-huh, because if we're pretending we're doing any kind of timelines in our new universe where anything can happen, I guess we don't want Borgs yet. Yeah.
1: Although, I mean, First Contact had Borgs. <laughs> we don't talk about First Contact. But, okay. <laughs> but, like, so I get why we're going with the Romulans, because mm-hmm. y- you want it to be something that you can still have the characters, like, interact with conceptually in that same frame. And it's a very
0: simple plot for a two hour movie. You have his goal is that he wants to make Spock suffer. Yep. Classics dimension Spock came through this dimension hole with him. And so Nero the Romulan has decided that he will blow up uh, Spock's planet as retribution. Vulcan.
1: Shh. Shh. Don't, don't call me out like this. <laughs> but because of Tommy wimey bullshit. Nero er emerged from the portal 25 years earlier or some shit. Yes, 25 years earlier than Spock did. So So he emerged, immediately blew up a Federation ship, and then just been chilling. Yep, he's- Waiting for Spock to show up so that he can hurt him. And do nothing else. Like, that's his whole life. And Uh, everybody on his
0: ship. And it turns out that this New Dimensions version of the main cast- eventually run across him when he gets off his ass and decides to start doing the Spock revengining and blow up Vulcan. Like, that's on now. Which leads to a pew-pew space battle shootout where Kirk, despite only being a cadet, gets launched all the way to captaincy. And these are the adventures of our new voyages through
1: space. The end. So now we have to talk about the nitty-gritty. Yep. Because, like, again, conceptually- I like the idea that they're saying, no, no, we're doing something different. Mm -hmm. These are not your original characters or whatever. But number one, I fucking hate this very specific thing that multiple series that I've watched over the years have done, where they pull a timey-wimey bullshit that results in, like, my original version of a character getting stuck in the bad past and dying of old age. I take it very personally. (laughs) the there the fact
0: that there was a whole genre of fix fic for all right we're going to take the bad thing that you did to old spock and we're also while we're at it gonna fix the bridge
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that is one of the great things about this is you can just bullshit the nexus incident now because fuck it <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> which the nexus incident for you those of you who don't know is when uh
0: Kirk got sucked into a pocket dimension where he With rode Lohan horses. <laughs> yep, and then at the climax of that, Picard shows up. They talk for a little bit, and then Kirk gets a bridge dropped on him, and that's how he goes. Which is still better than the original plan for that movie, where he just gets shot in the back and dies
1: ignobly. <laughs> yeah, Ed Spock has been living for like a hundred years since then without his Tahila.
0: And sad. You have
1: to explain that word now because um, it doesn't show up in the series proper. It's a term that me- that's a Vulcan term that means simultaneously friend, brother, and lover. What? No, it means or. Definitely, it could mean or any
0: of those things. It doesn't. They gave a special gay ter- Vulcan term to Kirk and Spock, but we're still arguing about this. I guess.
1: Yeah, Roddenberry also conceptualize these two characters specifically after reading a Mary Renault book about Alexander and Hephaestion. They're back. Hey. (laughs) Nothing is safe from Alexander and Hephaestion's gayness.
0: That's right. Not Hannibal. Not this. Not some other third thing. Not
1: Smallville. There. Yeah, there
0: it is. Even beyond the Spock thing, because
1: like, that's a personal thing for me that annoys me.
0: Yeah. That can be fixed fairly easily. I get mad about Kirk. This version of Kirk is just the bad Saturday Night Live parody version of the
1: character. In many ways, yes. And it's extra frustrating because having seen Chris Pine in other stuff, he's a very good casting choice for
0: Kirk. This entire cast is wonderfully chosen. Like, there's not anybody who I'm like,
1: you seem like a terrible choice for this role. Sean has opinions about um, Carl Urban Mm. as Bones because he thinks he's taking it a little too hard into parody. Because Bones is his favorite. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, fair.
0: Fair, fair. I don't think anybody is inherently wrong for the role. I think that many of them have been directed badly. Because tonally, they're directed for a very up. Very glossy, very surface characterization of everybody. It's a different backstory, that's fine. But the fact that this Kirk is so brassy and he's an asshole and he doesn't respect anybody especially women and he just kind of barrels his way into things and fights some of those things are true of of captain kirk you know he he has the famous punch smash where he put brings his fist together and smacks them on somebody's somebody's back and his entire arc throughout the movies was about his hubris and his Racism against Klingons after well, that, they killed his son.
1: That was in the later movies. The, yeah. the first few movies dealt a lot with like him coming to terms with aging and changing roles and figuring out like how to balance his career and his personal relationships and what he would was willing to give up mm-hmm. for Spock. He gave up for Spock's ship. eternal soul. Mm-hmm. But
0: at the same time, you know, Kirk was a nerd and he was very compassionate about his fellow crew members you know he has this great speech about how one of the women on his ship is a crew member and a person not just a woman tm and it's clumsy but it's very 60s feminist a lot of the speeches he gets
1: yeah and a lot of his relationships with women are characterized by his respect for them they're usually like highly trained professionals
0: and he only sleeps with two people the entire series. But, just, well. <laughs> he only sleeps with two women the entire series as the part of the episode. Most of the time when he's flirting with people, it's it's part of a a, a mission maneuver. Yeah. So, like, these, it's not that these things aren't part of him. It's just that they've been distilled and distilled and distilled into the meme mhm this is this is meme kirk this is not the actual fully fleshed character and just because you're introducing somebody anew does not mean that they should not be
1: fleshed again pine was a great choice for him because i've seen him play a great captain kirk in wonder woman just has this nice level of sensitivity and respect and friendliness while also being a little bit blustering and foot and mouth yeah an actiony Uh uh-huh it's
0: great go watch him in wonder woman instead his role is a big part of why i think it comes down to directing with so many of these characters you know same deal with zachary quinto as spock who i haven't had the emotional energy to watch that documentary he made but i'm really touched by what a close friendship he clearly formed with leonard nimoy
1: for the rest of his life yeah and I i like quinto in this It's a distinct performance, but I think that when he's allowed to really get into the character, it's good. And here's what I mean about sort of the problem with watching a highlight reel of TOS is so much of his performance in this movie, though, is about Spock flying off the handle that it really has this weird lack of depth in terms of like the understanding that the reason episodes where Spock flies off the handle like the naked time where he like weeps over his shame over feeling emotion towards Kirk and his mother is an aberration. That's why it's striking. That's why these interactions are right. So it would
0: still be fitting if this movie led up to the emotionally compromised moment where a big part of the conflict is that Kirk has to get Spock out of command because he's being stubborn and intense.
1: And bad. Yes. Quite bad yeah, at it. Like the Galilean. The episode the Galileo 7 was all about that. That sort of balance of Spock being a good officer, but not necessarily good at commands.
0: So that would be, I think, a great climax for this movie. I don't think that's a bad instinct. But the fact that the movie opens with him getting in a fight with some other kids, and then this continues to be reinforced throughout the movie, it, it loses that sense of climactic shock
1: yeah yeah it it makes him into more sort of always angry. he's the Hulk in this, not and, not having that sort of balancing of emotions. This movie's all about validating his anger and instead of achieving the level of balance between his Vulcan need for control versus his human need to connect,
0: yeah and the fact that it is specifically only anger that this movie can conceive of Our original Trek spock got mad but as much the time it was affection and sorrow that he was ashamed about like it was this full breadth of any emotion whereas this is just about toxic masculinity it it is good actually that he is angry all of the
1: time and that he's sensitive to yo mama jokes
0: it is good that it inspires him to lash out violently at others which like anger is a perfectly fine and healthy emotion amongst others but the way it's portrayed here is just so yikes it's so yikes
1: yeah especially because his relationship with uhura isn't given that same space to breathe which is one of the reasons i dislike his relationship with uhura in this not just because i'm a shipper but because i don't feel like it gives her enough credit oh yeah i feel for zoe saldana
0: been saddled with about six different stereotypes in one character and none of them equate out to an actual person.
1: First of all she's the girl mm-hmm. and we know this because literally the first interaction that Kirk has with any other member of the crew is when he does an anime titty grab fall onto her. And like, okay, I get that the timeline has diverged and stuff, but I'm very skeptical of the idea that we made it all the way to the Delta Quadrant before the events of the original series even did, just because of the Kelvin incident. I'm very skeptical that she could be able to order a Cardassian Sunrise. And that is the problem with this scene. In the late 50s. Yes, that is the problem with this scene.
0: (laughs) You can't just name drop Cardassia, folks. But that's how this movie does all of its references. Like, it seems to have papered over its interest in characterization. I'll be real with you folks, I am not somebody who gives much of a damn at all
1: about the technology (laughs) aspect. I'm just here for the character work. The technology also just works much faster and looks much dumber. I said it. I'm
0: sorry, are you referring to the uh, Enterprise by Apple? The dryer that is in this movie? (laughs) Tell the people. There's this glorious Tumblr post that I will include in the show notes that points out that, you know those those fast working air dryers where you stick your hands into them and it the sensor blows the air on them. Air
1: blade. <laughs>
0: uh huh. That's in this movie. <laughs> Just like the Enterprise engines is a brewery, apparently.
1: Uh huh. I've been to breweries, but it's literally like either the Budweiser or the Coors Brewery.
0: They did not disguise it. And of course, you wouldn't be expected to notice these things because you are constantly being blindsided by the lens flaring. We had to mention it once.
1: Oh god, the lens flaring! But yes, it's kind of annoying to watch. Mm -hmm. And The, the technology thing irritates me though because it just it the pacing of weapon use and everything in the original series was based on aviation and submarine. Command. So orders have to be given and then acknowledged and waited and, and things take time. In this movie, that's not a thing. Stuff mm-hmm. just has to happen when you push a button in order to keep up this very frantic pace. Because it's Star Wars. Yeah. Which,
0: the first Star Wars movie, which I know that J.J. Abrams is a f- uh, fan of because he just made it again when he did Force Awakens. <laughs> a movie that I thought was fun. It's a shame about what he did with the rest of it. Anyway. <sighs> If we talk specifically about A New Hope, that is a movie that's just escape scene, escape scene, escape scene, ragtag bunch that doesn't, that is, you know, working with what they have. There isn't an entrenched power structure like there is in Star Trek, although he's done his best to make this whole training mission gone awry set up as much like that as possible so he can get away with making Star Wars again. Yeah. The fact that R2-D2 is in the, it's a stupid thing. It's a small thing, but it makes me angry. (laughs) We get it. You hate the franchise you're working on. Jesus Christ, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I'm also just mad because of that really gross interview he gave for, in fact, the second one where he drooled over this skin-tight red jumpsuit he put Uhura in. Which, because I know it's for the sequel because Uhura doesn't get to do anything in this movie despite the lip service paid to how she's definitely more important than in the original. It's frustrating. So she is not just the girl, she's also the girlfriend, and specifically the bitchy girlfriend.
1: And specifically also the slash blocker, even though we're not acknowledging that that's a thing.
0: No, this movie is so terrified of its own homoeroticism. <laughs> My god, it's it a- afraid.
1: Yeah, so it's just, it's very unfortunate, the position that Saldana has been placed in, in trying to portray Uhura as... A rounded character mm-hmm.
0: you know they give her an extended Get anime
1: titty grab Uh huh. nobody has ever fallen over like that at
0: with you mean with their hands at boob height
1: in perfect grasping position and then makes a comical whoa face he's so smirky every time he violates a woman's boundaries in this yeah the fact that the film is trying to put together a love triangle between him and Spock, and her, it's nothing. I mean, it could be, but you'd have to be a lot smarter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the <laughs> the scene on the telepath really looks like he's he's not jealous of Spock.
1: Please tell me somebody made a girlfriend video. I guarantee it. Ever Levine's song "Girlfriend" only exists. For shit like that. I will
0: also put some of our favorite AMVs into the show notes to, you know, really illustrate all of the people who went on to make fan works with more emotional depth than the actual film.
1: Yeah, there's a great one to uh, Johnny Cash's recording of "Heart." It's full of feelings. It's full of feelings.
0: This script is so empty. It has these interactions where we're supposed to be... Buying that Kirk and Spock are building up to a mutual respect of one another, but it's just them hating each other and hating each other and hating each other until the script says we gotta work together now because Kirk got a magic mind dump from you know. Spock. Uh-huh.
1: Who is having to deal with
0: his boyfriend being this dick now. Which has which is just an extra kick while he's <laughs> down, frankly. <laughs> like there's no true sense that they're building a rapport. They just hate each other. And it's even worse in Into Darkness, by the way. Ah. I hate that movie much more than this one.
1: <laughs> I only watched this one.
0: That was a wise decision on your part. It's not that it's an action movie. Action movies can have endearing characters. There are lots that do. Look, look at the old guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great action-punchy year. movie. That, that has really engaging characters, yeah. yeah. But this is just all Flash and every interaction has to be that kind of pithy argument
1: and it's also weird because it's constantly nudging like hey hey you see what i did there by like throwing in sort of these tick marks of this is what this character does this is what this character does but it's also supposed to be like bringing in people who aren't big star wars fan star trek fans see see (laughs) it's easy to do it is so it has this Looks at the camera to to make sure a joke landed vibe mm-hmm. in some scenes. And there are also just changes that don't make any damn sense. Are you going to talk about the Bones thing? Yes, I'm going to talk about the Bones thing because it pisses me off. <laughs> Tell the people. McCoy's nickname is Bones in the original series because Captain Kirk is a giant <sighs> American Civil War history buff. He's a huge fan of Abraham Lincoln. And he loves shit from that era. He nicknamed his friend, who is a doctor, Bones, because he's a Sawbones from Georgia. And and for some reason, this movie not only chucks that out the window, but decides that Bones already has that nickname before meeting Kirk, or like instigates the nickname upon meeting Kirk by bitching about his bitchy wife that he just got divorced from, who took all of his stuff in the divorce, which, why is that even a thing? Surely your marriage is not so lopsided that she does not have access to funds and employment and stuff. This how, how did that settlement operate in the 23rd century?
0: Right, we've defeated capitalism in the 23rd century. That's why it's awesome.
1: Yeah, like, what was going on to create a situation where your stuff needed to be granted to her by the courts? Oh, right, because it's a bitchy divorce joke. And we will never speak of it again. He has a daughter, you know. She took everything but my bones. Mm -hmm. No! Knock that shit off. Yes, Bones was divorced, but it was just a thing. It wasn't- And I wouldn't even be mad if the movie
0: wanted to go in a non-utopian direction, as long as it didn't turn into Man of Steel, which it would. Except that it, it has no interest in this society at all, besides set dressing. It hasn't thought that far. It's just being lazy and doing jokes from our time What do.
1: Yeah, like like the, the robo-cop trooper. Which in the scene where baby Kirk gets pulled over for speeding because he's not on Tarsus IV experiencing genocide in this time loop, there's a cop that's just a modern cop but robot face. And it's like, why is that? Why is society still operating in such a way with cops pulling people over for speeding and and ticketing people and like why is that carceral system still in place
0: man if they wanted kirk to have a dark and edgy backstory why didn't they keep it's because jj abrams didn't know that tarsus 4 was a thing
1: and honestly i would have killed for the classic car to be something like a prius (laughs) a honda civic but that wouldn't have let us you know like the classical music concerts in next gen (laughs) do the goof if you're gonna do the goof at least have thought about
0: it this much. Not that I should be surprised. You know, I'm laying this a lot of this on J.J. Abrams because, because I resent him. But also because he seems to be the kind of director who runs with the same crew. The two women who work as his editors have done basically all of his movies except for Rise of Skywalker.
1: That's why he's got such a unified design
0: style. Yeah, let's go with that. But the writing team that wrote this movie also deserves to be blamed, frankly. Uh, Roberto Orkey, or Orsi, I'm not sure, and uh, Alex Kurtzman, would you like to take a guess as to what they did right before this movie? Gosh, I don't know. It was the first Transformers film. Gonna make a Michael Bay joke. You can't make the joke because the joke is life. Even before that, they also helped Michael Bay rip off parts of the Clonus Horror.
1: Wow.
0: Yep, that was them. And you wanna know what else they wrote the same year as this? What's that? Watchmen. Okay. Yeah, and then they wrote Cowboys and Aliens, a film so bad that I was actively angry at seeing it for free. <laughs> what I'm saying is they're bad writers who keep failing upwards.
1: Yet another story of why are these guys still employed? There, There's this
0: amazingly shady note on their Wikipedia pages that's like, they started working on Star Trek Beyond until they left in December of that year. <laughs> <laughs> which may be why people like Beyond. I haven't watched that I, one.
1: Yeah, I think that was the one that Peg was heavily involved in. Yes. And, and is a Star Trek fan.
0: And I know that a mutual friend of ours who is very into classic Trek says that that one is a fun watch if you know, sort of burdened by the legacy of these other two films. So, maybe I'll give it a shot at some point, but there's just a lot of just a lot of mediocre dudes who don't care about the project they're working on.
1: Yeah. And that thing about like the trading on a relationship that it's not really building, mm-hmm. to me, that very strongly reminds me of um, how the the MCU sort of trades on this presumed relationship between Steve and Tony to like insist that we should care when they're fighting and that this is very serious for them to be in conflict, when that's not built up in the films the way it is in the comics so it's trading on this relationship that's only holographic for the audience Mm -hmm.
0: it's this very frustrating combination of we're making this for new viewers not the old ones but also half of our humor is reference based not in a clever way although they really think they're doing something with with uhura's first name but also in order to invest meaningfully in this film you are required to supplant either your memories of the old series or this additional work that you have done as a viewer for fan work there's no there there i didn't have the courage to show courage isn't the right word i didn't have the heart to show this movie to my mother who is the biggest trek fan you guys it is the cutest thing she had a. she used to ditch class to watch it in college and she had the biggest crush on leonard nimoy oh, and i'm bless. still very sad that i couldn't get his autograph for her before he passed
1: Oh bless.
0: Mm-hmm. Good taste. Honestly. It's, it's very <laughs> sweet. Uh, that is one thing I'm kind of grateful to this movie for is that getting me off my butt about trying out Star Trek enough to be able to kind of enjoy that with her.
1: Yeah. And this is again a thing where I think that a lot of fans came in clutch and concluded that like the reason to trade on that relationship is that like so many fanfics that do this that are like So when old Spock melds with Kirk, it activates their bond in this universe, too. And they're inexorably drawn to one another after that. Kind of fucked up. Is there dark thick about that? I hope so. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Duh. And it just frustrates me, too, because as somebody who's really interested in the Vulcans, not as like a perfect society, like Vulcans are super fucked up, but as an interesting society and as such a part of my favorite characters, Spock, it frustrates me that they destroy the planet Vulcan and kill his mom, Rip Amanda, who is an interesting
0: character. But I like Amanda. She's not a perfect woman. She's made some fuck ups, but she's yeah, very but she's interesting. very
1: Interesting, and she's such a part of Spock as a character that it's disappointing that she was just brought in to be fridged. But it really bothers me that they blew up the planet Vulcan because not only does that like destroy the physical space of Vulcan that is destroying the physical remnants of the Catras of every Vulcan who has died on the planet since they learned how to store Catras. That is the destruction of souls. It's like an even higher level of genocide. (laughs) It's really fucked up, but there's not like really a recognition that that's what's happening because Star Wars blew up a planet. Vulcan Alderaan now. Valderan. And and the destruction of Alderaan was, let's face it, treated extremely lightly in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher had an emotion about it. And then spent the rest of the movie patting Luke on the back. Gosh, that old hobo's dead.
0: Yeah, Lops. that must be hard for you. <laughs> that guy you knew for three whole days? Damn. The Vulcan thing is so... It seems petty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it seems so grounded in his desire to be doing a different film and also so poorly thought through in the magnitude of it it's clearly just because we want a big set piece and also a dead mom the degree to which this movie does not give a fuck about women so
1: so that now spock can be pissed off and set his phasers to kill Because that
0: is the manliness and most powerful emotion for him to possess. So now he and Kirk can both be
1: aggro dickwads at all times. But we'll replicate the choking scene. Because y'all like the choking scene, right? Eh? (laughs) Eh? This movie makes me tired. It's weird because I feel like there is a perfectly good execution that exists if you as the viewer do all the work. And I feel like this is trying to be an enjoyable watch by having all this you know silly wacky stuff and like look look sausage hands that's a weird bit but i don't hate it (laughs) it's super weird though (laughs) it's super weird that in the middle of a very serious set of circumstances we're also doing allergy jokes
0: (laughs) in a movie that does not all of the bits in this movie feel very out of place not necessarily in that this should be a Serious Times movie, because Star Trek is often goofy, but in that the Way place- else. Uh-huh. But, like, in the places where they decide to deploy them feels very odd and unfitting. I don't hate the hypo bit, but it it's weird to have it as the third act like, is ramping
1: up. Yeah, like, overlapping with Kirk realizing that his father's murderer has emerged from the shadows. <laughs> right, like, okay, now?
0: You do this- in act two. Not as you're going into act three. Yeah. Bafflingly put together film.
1: And the supporting cast are all doing a good job. Yeah. In, in their roles. Like, John Cho is clearly having a lot of fun claiming to have combat proficiency. Which actually basically happened.
0: <laughs> yes, when, when George Takei got to the role of Sulu, he they asked him at the interview whether he could fence and he lied like actors do and said yes obviously and then immediately ran home in a panic (laughs) trying to (laughs) learn to become competent in this thing he said he was good at
1: yeah so that's like a nice layered joke that i'm not sure they meant to make was having sulu be like totally i've got combat proficiency and then show up to a fight with a foil which as we all know every hero needs anton yelchin is good Yelchin's phenomenal in Green Room. I like Yelchin. Mm -hmm. He's doing his best, and I feel really sorry for him considering he's actually Russian and is saddled with doing the Chekhov accent. Uh Uh-huh. Which is so... I know you gotta gotta have the
0: accent, but you couldn't try to do some kind of updated version of the the Soviet jokes? No. The answer is no. We can't try.
1: You couldn't have just had had him doing the bit where he... Blatantly lies about where things were invented. Now that's funny. That's a good joke. What's well, a nice compliment sandwich
0: thing I can say about this movie? Some of the action set pieces are nice in abstract, like the bit where they're they're parachuting down. I liked that. I like that and we have a guys. random reason why the red shirt dies. <laughs> <laughs> like we we've, we've invested this tiniest droplet of characterization <laughs> into this guy not pulling his. It is unforgivably long for the kind of movie it is.
1: Yeah, it's it's two hours long. but It's also, two hours and eight minutes long. But also, it doesn't stop long enough for us to, to, to breathe, have those, to invest. Yeah, to have those moments with the characters, because it wants to just be action and fun and not all that stodgy philosophy, which I don't understand how you can say that Star Trek's too philosophical and then like Star Wars. Because Star Wars' philosophy is in the,
0: the broadest, simplest archetypes ever that J.J. Abrams has watched more
1: of and therefore internalizes more easily. Well, and it also might be that Star Wars' philosophy is philosophy. Star Trek's, he's actually talking about politics. Politics in my media? Star, Trek's is, uh, Star Trek is political. It is
0: extremely depressing that a movie made 50 years after this flawed but extremely important television series managed to go backwards. That's the legacy of Trek 09 to me.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely a popcorn movie. I don't think it's deliberately mean-spirited except towards the original series. And yeah, the set pieces are fun, but it's just like, why did you get a guy who didn't like Star Trek to make the Star Trek
0: Was there no one else? There were no other directors that day? None. Everybody else called in sick or was dead.
1: Couldn't you have just let him keep doing Fringe?
0: Or Lost. That's a thing that people liked
1: for a while. To this day, I will always remember the time where the day after the Lost finale aired, I went into (laughs) work and asked my boss. So, was it worth it? That's mean. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because I wasn't watching Lost. I had no horse in that race.
0: He had to go on to
1: disappoint more people in a bigger fashion. I almost wonder whether the Lost and the Fringe stuff is why they thought he'd be a good match. Because, you know, there's all that lore building in those. With this, though, he clearly had no time for that. Well, and with Lost, he was always alarmingly transparent from early on
0: that he did not have a plan. He was just like, I'm just gonna ask some really good questions and see where that goes. And that's the thing that everybody (laughs) complains about with Lost. I remember when that show was airing and people were like, man, the answer to this is going to be so great and it's, it's so meaningful. It's definitely not
1: going to be purgatory because he said it's not purgatory. It Spoilers was purgatory.
0: For <laughs> <laughs> no one is subjecting themselves to Lost now except as content. Yeah, cause which, it's purgatory. Which is unfortunate because I hear some of the early episodes genuinely are pretty interesting still. I don't have a lot of respect for J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker. I think he's a very accomplished mimic. He can reproduce the styles of those he admires expertly. Super 8 sure was a Spielberg movie. Force Awakens sure was, beat for beat, A New Hope. But this movie is not a Star Trek movie because he doesn't love Star Trek. So it's just Star Wars wearing the flayed skin of Star Trek. In which also, our lead character is Han Solo.
1: but worse, this version of Kirk is an insult to Han Solo, and because to- he doesn't like Kirk because he thinks Kirk is the memes, because mm-hmm. he only watched a selection of episodes, which were probably all the the most actiony Kirk ones, yeah, and and the ones where Spock freaks out.
0: It's not all bad, you know, a lot of people made a lot of really great fan work out of this. It got Star Trek back in the public consciousness, so we have Star Trek again. I'm not here to say knock it off, although I was sad for a while. I couldn't find any old married space husband fic without the new kids in it. But that's just me being old and crabby. That's not their fault. Yeah. And I am glad that we got a chance to revisit this because I think as a history piece, it's very interesting to I've said the word interesting too many times today to to situate as a piece of its franchise and as something that both that I think happens a lot but not nearly so overtly as nostalgia bait properties go so I think it's a very worthwhile cultural document in that way and I hope to never watch it again (laughs) but thank you Roshin for this opportunity I hope that we didn't destroy a movie you like too much
1: yeah, cuz this is one of those things where despite the fact that I have all of these thought out objections, it is ultimately a matter of personal taste and my own situating mm-hmm. with That's regards to it. As much as this movie makes me
0: actively angry, I don't I don't consider it a movie that I need to shake people and tell them to stop enjoying. That's a different class of movie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us listeners. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can find more of our stuff by searching for Trash and Treasures on SoundCloud or your podcatcher of choice. You can also email us at trashtreasurespod at gmail.com. We love to get email. Or you can find us on social media. We are on Tumblr, trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com, or we are on Twitter at trashpod. You know, come chat with us wherever. We'll give you a shout out on the show. A uh, special shout out to Anne, who always leaves s- comments on our SoundCloud and then I forget to check them for two weeks. But we do appreciate you. <laughs> And we're sorry for exposing you to that Lindsay Lohan article. It's upsetting. Due to life things, the schedule got reconfigured a little bit, obviously, as you're listening to this. So next time you'll actually be hearing our commissioned drunk book club episode. Gosh, so many people giving us money. My heart. Yeah. Speaking of which. Uh, so we we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Trash and Treasures. Uh, every little bit helps us keep the lights on, helps us acquire rarer media. And we really appreciate folks' contributions Our patrons get access to Dorothy's drink recipe book and also to bonus episodes at $5 a month, which we put out monthly.
1: Well, which we supposedly put out monthly. I'm working on a backlog. We're a little bit behind and we do apologize. A lot of it is my fault because the school semester kind of ate my spare time and I do apologize to all of y'all.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll be getting those out to you just as soon as we can. But um, we thank you for your patience and apologize for dropping the ball on that. So, yeah, next time we will see you for Drunk Book Club. And then we'll be heading into the last couple episodes of the year, which is exciting. Woo! All right. Thanks so much, listeners. And take care of yourselves out there. Bye, y'all.